0: Well, good uh, weekend, everyone. And to those dads, uh, happy Father's Day. I'm going to do something very um, selfish right now. I'm just going to say hello to my four grandchildren who are together in Austria this weekend, having their celebration with their daddies. And so I hope you guys are watching. All right, that's over with, all right? Um, So I also want to give all of you a very warm and special greetings from Benin, West Africa. That's where I was this past week. I was there uh, teaching several um, uh, leaders from various countries in West Africa, uh, over a hundred who had gathered together. uh, And I taught them pastoral theology and I taught them pastoral leadership. And they're very thankful and grateful for you. I want you to know that. And uh, oftentimes, especially when I go to Asia, they like to refer to themselves as the Wooddale Group. So you're going to meet people in heaven someday who are going to say, hey, we're part of the Wooddale Group as well. And uh, most importantly, though, we're part of Christ, right? That's what matters. But amazing stories of God at work. And I want to tell you just one real quick. Um, A leader in another country in West Africa was sharing with me that uh, he's ministering amongst a people of another religious group who don't believe in Jesus the way we do. And um, he said there was a man in a particular town who had a very strange dream. And in his dream, he kept hearing a prayer over and over and over in his dream. And when he woke up the next morning, he heard the prayer so many times that he could actually recite the prayer. But he didn't know what it meant. He didn't know what it was all about so he went and searched out somebody who might be able to give him an answer and it eventually led him to a true follower of christ he said i heard this prayer in my dream and here's how it goes and the follower of christ said well that's called the lord's prayer god had given this man the lord's prayer he'd never heard it in his life well that eventually led to this man accepting christ as his savior now i wanted to share that story with you because As I talk to multiple different leaders, both in Africa and in Asia and other parts of the world, it is amazing what God is doing right now in the hearts and lives of people. Dreams and visions, like the prophet Joel said. And they are coming to faith. It's leading them to faith in Christ. So God's at work with Dale Church. And you and I, we get to be a part of that through our prayers, through our uh, resources that we give, and through our short-term trips and through the, the training that you allow me to go and do uh, for the Lord on behalf of the mission that God's given us in the vision as a church Now we've been in the book of Revelation. We'll be back there next weekend You don't want to miss it because next weekend we're going to look at Re- uh, Revelation chapter 4 through 7 And we're going to be talking about the essence it reveals to us the essence of life So if you ever wonder what is the bottom line essence of life for you, you don't want to miss next weekend But I want to talk to uh, dads, men But the more I looked at this message Yeah, the more I realize this is a message for all of us, uh, male and female alike. And in order to do that, I want you to turn with me to a passage of scripture in Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. So if you do that real quick, you'll be ready to go. Paul writes to the believers living in Philippi. And he's writing to believers who are in much the same situation that the believers were that John conveys the message of Revelation and the message that uh, he writes is one to folks who are suffering who are being persecuted who are going through really difficult hardship and he's saying to them look I want you to finish life and the race of life and I want you to finish it strong here's what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3 verse 12 says I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things is calling us. Inconceivable was the word that was used to describe the idea that a man could run a mile in less than four minutes. Physiologists said it just wouldn't happen. The, the, the male anatomy couldn't do it. But Roger Bannister, a medical student in London, England and at Oxford believed that it could be done and he would be the man to do it. He was part of the uh, Amateur Athletic Association. And he was training to try to break that record. Well, on a cool, wet spring day in 1954, he went to the track to do it. 3,000 people gathered in the crowd because everybody wanted to witness a man doing the impossible. The gun sounded and off he went. Ahead of him was a friend named Chris Basher. Chris Basher set the pace, and Bannister followed behind. And behind Bannister was a man named Chris Chataway. When Basher became too tired and couldn't keep the fast pace anymore, he got out of the way, Chataway moved to the front, Bannister stayed behind him. The last 200 yards, Bannister broke out in a sprint to the finish line. As he crossed the finish line, he was so totally spent that he collapsed in the arms of a minister friend. He said, I felt like a flashlight whose batteries had gone dead. Remember, this is 1954, so the metaphor is a little bit limited, technologically speaking. He said, I was just, I, I was at the end. There's nothing left in me. I ran the tank dry. Everybody in the, in, the, in the stands, the crowd, was in hushed silence. Did he do it or didn't he do it? Finally, over the, the speaker system came the announcement that Roger Bannister. Broke the record. He ran it in three minutes and 59 seconds. They broke out into pandemonium and applause. Now, that's been broken many times since. But it became known as the miracle mile. All of us are in a race. Paul says he's in a race too. We're all running our own miracle mile. And he says, finish strong. He says, I want to finish strong. You can finish strong. We can all finish strong because, in a sense, Christ has run the race for us. And what we've got to do is we've got to let him run the race through us. But like in every race, there's fatigue that can set in. There are obstacles that can get in the way. Obstacles like financial stress. Obstacles like physical stress. Obstacles like relational stress, emotional stress. There are all kinds of things that can creep up in our life that we weren't expecting and kind of step out in front of us and cause us to trip up or give up. If your life were a race right now, whether you're just starting the race halfway through the race or coming down the last 200 yards, let me ask you a question. Do you feel like you're running the race strong? You're running the race well? Or have you kind of gone from a run to a walk? Have you fallen down and tripped up? Are you contemplating not getting back on the track anymore? Are you thinking, I can't finish this race? Well, the Apostle Paul has some advice for us. Now, I want you to think with me for a moment as though you were an a athlete on, on the track and he's your coach. By the way, anybody run track or cross-country in the room? Got, let me see your hands high. Well, God bless you. How about online? Anybody? Okay, all right. How many of you have watched somebody run track or cross-country? That's much easier to do, isn't it? Now that's a lot easier to do. But if Paul were our coach, what would he say? I'm going to guess a couple of things. One, I think he would say, hey, listen, you got to let go of destructive attitudes. you gotta, you got to lose some weight, so to speak, if you want to get faster and run well. Here's what he said in Philippians. He said, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. You've seen, you've seen the runners when they cross the line. They're kind of like this, right? Trying to get their body in front of that thing, you know, the last second, to get the fastest time. You don't often see someone running across like this, all right, unless they're just totally exhausted. Paul says, Lead into the finish, don't don't hang back. Don't don't get pulled back instead. It's interesting to me that Paul says, Forget. Forget what what's behind. What is it Paul's trying to forget? You ever thought about that? I mean, these writers that God uses to bring us the scriptures oftentimes are writing out of their own personal spiritual experiences. Is there anything Paul would would want to forget? I think there are a few things. In fact, he tells us earlier in Philippians, uh, in the same chapter, verses 4 through 6, that at one time he used to be all about self-righteousness. He used to think that winning the race was a matter of keeping the rules, keeping the law, giving it your own best, self-righteousness. But he later on says in Philippians, he says, you know, I I count that way of thinking, that attitude, I count it now as human waste. Skabala is a Greek word. He says, and I want to flush it all away. I don't want to live that way anymore. I can't earn God's favor. I can't gain God's grace. How foolish I was to think that way. And I gave it my best. In fact, I was better than most people, comparatively speaking. But he says, it's just rubbish. It's garbage. Isn't it amazing, even as the followers of Christ, how we fall into that same trap in our own lives, at least I do, of performance? What do I have to do to make God happy? What do I have to do to stay in his good graces? I blew it today. What what can I do for God that will kind of make God like me again? Listen, God loves you and likes you not because of any effort on your own, but because he just chooses to do that out of his grace. And to be able to live in that grace, be able to live in that freedom, and and not have to drag that weight around a self-effort. But I think there's something else Paul really wrestled with in his life as well. I think Paul also wrestled, perhaps for at least a period of time, with the kind of spiritual thug he used to be. Remember, it's at Paul's feet that the other Pharisees dropped their coats and then took the stones that they picked up and hurled them at Stephen and stoned him to death because Stephen dared to criticize them and talk about Jesus as Savior and Lord. Paul was an accomplice to Stephen's murder. Paul himself was a man who went around persecuting and arresting Christians and having them killed. Now imagine carrying that baggage around with you. No wonder Paul wrote 2 Corinthians 5, 17, which is a beautiful passage of Scripture. He says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. I'm really thankful for that verse. How about you? The old's passed away, no matter what you've done. The court may remember it. Your relatives may remember it. The public may remember it. But God says, I choose not to. I choose to forgive you and see you in the light of that grace. And so a lot of times we drag around our past. Even though we confessed it, even though we know God's forgiven us, we still drag it around with us. Let go of it. Run in freedom. Run in grace. Run in grace. Look what Paul says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, that makes me think of the stands of people watching Roger Bannister. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily hinders our progress, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, on whom our faith depends from start to finish. He was willing to die a shameful death on the cross because the joy he knew would be his afterward. Now he is seated in the place of highest honor besides God's throne in heaven. Hear what the writer's saying there? He's saying, get rid of that weight. Lean in. Don't hold back. I ran cross-country and track one year. Emphasis, one year. It's not my gift or or something I even enjoy. I, I run today once in a while to try and stay in shape, but I don't like get excited and look forward to it. I'm always glad when it's done. I feel better when it's done, but I don't like to do it. But I learned a little bit about running, and one of the things I learned about running is, if you want to run well, don't look behind you. If you look behind you, you're going to trip over something in front of you, or you'll lose your pace, and you'll become obsessed by who's behind you. You become obsessed with who's behind you, you forget about the finish line. It becomes about that person. Instead, keep your eyes focused straight ahead of you. Stay on your pace. Fix your eyes on that finish line. Run your race. Not somebody else's. But run your race. That's just as true spiritually speaking. Keep your eyes focused straight ahead. Dead ahead on the finish line. On Christ. Don't get tripped up by what's behind you. Run your race and glorify God. Number two, all right, train over time and stick to a schedule. Any athlete, any musician, those of us who are in school or been in school in our careers, you train, you prepare for what you're going to do. You're always training to get better, to get stronger, to get faster, to win the race. Same thing is true spiritually speaking. We're always training. We're always growing. We're always being refined. We call it spiritual growth. Disciples, we say, are individuals who are actively following Jesus, who are on mission with Jesus, but in between those two things, they're being changed by Jesus. How's he changing you? How is he changing your life? You know, God was at work even changing the life of the Apostle Paul himself. Because Paul had some things that needed to change in his life. I'm going to read to you some ways that Paul talks about this in other scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Listen to what Paul says. He's going to mix the metaphors here a little bit, but listen. He says, remember that in race everyone runs. But only one person gets the prize. You also must run in such a way that you will win. All athletes practice strict self-control they do it to win a prize that will fade away but we do it for an eternal prize so i run straight to the goal with purpose in every step here's where he makes this a metaphor i am not lo- i am not like a boxer who misses with his punches i discipline my body like an athlete training it to do what it should otherwise i fear that my preaching uh, while i'm preaching to others i myself might be disqualified now there's what paul's saying is look i practice what i preach Here's, I, I'm not just telling you what you ought to do. I have to do this too. And I love the way the New Living Translation puts First Timothy chapter four verse seven. He says, "Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales." Now, here's what I like. He says, "Spend your time and energy in training yourself for spiritual fitness." Sometimes when I when I I decide to work out at the gym rather than at home, I, I go to the gym and I work out, and I see all these people, and it's always interesting to me to watch people at the gym. I'm sure the same is true about me. There's always a look of intensity, isn't there? I mean, they're sweating everywhere. They got their space. They're strutting around. They're, you know, doing whatever it is, you know, and it's just all focus, right? They check in the mirror a little bit and, you know, that whole scene, right? We pay an awful lot of attention to, are we getting in shape? I just wish we paid that kind of attention spiritually. If we, if we were to address our spiritual fitness the way we do our physical fitness, some of us at least, my goodness how we would grow spiritually as a result. Paul said you've got to grow spiritually. Paul had to grow spiritually. I'll give you one example. You know, when the Apostle Paul first started in his walk with the Lord as an apostle, he was kind of a grumpy, gruff guy. He goes on his first missionary journey with a friend named Barnabas, who was really one of the biggest encouragers Paul ever had in his life. And, they, and, and Barnabas brings along his uh, uh, his nephew, John Mark. And they get ready on their first journey. They don't get very far away from home. And John Mark turns around and goes back. We're not told why. We find out why later on. We're not told specifically. We find out why. Because on the second missionary journey, Paul says, okay, Barnabas, let's go back, revisit the places we were to see how they're doing. Barnabas says, yep, I'm ready to go. I'm paraphrasing. He said, I'm going to bring along my nephew, John Mark. And Paul goes, "Uh uh-uh, not going to happen. Not going to happen. He turned around the last time. He didn't have the guts and the courage to go for it. He couldn't take it. I'm not going through that again. He stays. Barnabas says, if he stays, I'm not going. Paul said, Fine, I'll see you later. And he took somebody else. Well, Paul has some issues there. Because later on, when Paul's older, we see it in Colossians and Timothy, he writes and he says, I need Mark. Or Mark is with me, and what a blessing he is to the ministry. What happened between those grumpy, gruff years of, of this kind of tough guy Paul to now I need him and he's an awesome part of the ministry? I'll tell you what happened First Corinthians 13. You know what First Corinthians 13 is? It's called the love chapter where Paul describes what love is. and You get the sense that Paul kind of had to come and look in the mirror and realize he lacked in the area of love. And so that was developing. It was being grown in this life. How about you? What area are you lacking in? What area do you need to grow in? I've been reading very carefully through the book of Philippians. And the other day, God showed me an area in my life that he wants me to work on. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. It says two really simple things in Philippians two fourteen. It says, stop complaining and arguing. And I heard God say to me loud and clear, stop complaining and arguing. And ever since that verse, I have not complained or argued as much. <laughs> but no, I'm serious. I've been, I, I, like I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying to, to ask God to help me grow in that area so I can run faster, run stronger, run well. How about you? What's an area in your life that God may be trying to grow or bring some discipline in your life? See, that's what I mean. You've got to follow a schedule. You've got to train. It just doesn't happen overnight. So you've got to have a method for training, right? And So I want to share with you just how I'm trying to practice spiritual discipline and spiritual growth in my life. And I'm not sharing this with you because I, I want you to look at it and go, wow, look what he does. Not at all. First, I want you to know I practice what I preach that I take points out of the messages and and try to uh, practice them in my own life. Secondly, I just want you to see a model for it, and thirdly, I want to challenge you to come up with your own training program with God. I do know two things. It's gonna require prayer, and it's gonna require the Word of God. So let me show you what I do, all right? First, I have a set time every day when I purposely try to be alone with God. Pretty consistent. There are some days when it's harder. When I say I try to be alone with God, I try to do two things there. I try to listen to God. I try to just be still. It's just be still and be aware of God. There are a lot of us who, who have our, quote, daily devotions, but they're really noisy. They're full of us reading. They're full of us talking to God. How many of us, though, just try to quiet ourselves? It's very healing. It's very healthy. I try to find a little bit of time in the morning for that. I try to find a little bit of time at night for that. Number two, I spend time in prayer and the most important person I pray for is me. See, that seems really self-centered. I used to think that until I realized if I really want to bless my wife and our marriage, my children, my grandchildren, if I want to be a good pastor, a good leader, a good friend, a good neighbor, then I need to spend a lot of time asking God to work in me. A lot of time asking God to refine me, surrendering myself to him, and so do you. Number three, These days, I read fewer verses in the scriptures. (gasps) Oh, no. You're not reading through the Bible an entire year? You're not reading chapters a day? No, I'm not. hope it doesn't disappoint you. But look at this. These days, I read fewer verses, but spend more time meditating on what I do read. I look for ways that God wants to develop and change me. So I've been like in the book of Philippians for almost two months now. Reading and rereading a few verses at a time. Contemplating, meditating, ruminating on those verses. And trying to take them in and hear what God has to say with to me in those verses. And it's been so full. It's been so full for me. I am just continuing to gain so much from it. And God's been kind of pointing out some things in my life that he wants to continue to work in. And I wanted to just as, a, as a, an example kind of share with you what some of those things are. Uh, The first one actually comes from a passage I've put on the screen several weekends now out of Ecclesiastes when we were talking about Solomon, uh, chapter 12, verse 13, and that is honor God. God's been talking to me about honoring him in every situation, asking myself, how can I honor God in this conversation? How can I honor God in this challenge? How can I honor God in this situation? The second thing is obey his word. Sounds very simple, doesn't it? Obey his word. The problem is that for a lot of us, we confuse obedience with knowing. It's not enough just to read something and know it. I've got I to gotta practice it. So through Philippians, God's been teaching me to practice a few things. One he's been pointing out to me is that I need to think of others as better than myself. Number, uh, number two, put the needs of others first. It's right of Philippians chapter 2. Those things have really grabbed me. Think of others, others as better than myself and put the needs of others first. Which, you know, when you read it, it just sounds so good, doesn't it? It's like, I like that. But boys need a challenge when somebody else puts themselves in front of you. And they're not as nice as you. Like this past week, traveling overseas can be challenging if you've ever done it. And so I was in this long line at an airport in another country and... Um, And I'm having to get through the line to get, you know, through the security, to get to a shuttle, to get to the next terminal, to get to my plane. And there's this guy and I can hear him coming up behind. He's tall, he's big, from another culture, and he's literally elbowing his way through. As though he has to get to something really fast. Well, I found out he's getting to the same plane I'm going to and I know it doesn't, that we got plenty of time to get there. I feel his elbow on my back with his loud voice trying to get by. And in that moment, do you know what I was thinking? (laughs) I am not going to tell you. (laughs) But it wasn't happy thoughts. And just as I was, you know, getting up ahead of steam to kind of make sure he didn't get past me, those two things came to my mind from Philippians. Can you think of him better than yourself? Can you put his need, even though you don't agree with it, can you put his need ahead of your own? And I just like, oh, please, not him, not now. (laughs) And then I always try to, I always try to imagine one of you is in line watching and I don't know you, right? And it's like, okay. I am going to treat his need as greater than mine and he's better than myself and I let him go by. And the reality is I eventually got to where I needed to go anyway. And I probably avoided an international incident. All right. So all right, next, make Christ my Alpha and Omega. I talked about that last weekend, so you know I'm trying to practice revelation. That that really spoke to my heart. Rather than use God, let God use me. He's first, he's last. It's all about him, not about me. And I've been thinking and trying to practice that in my life. And then finally, stop complaining and arguing. And, you know, as, as you look at this list with me, that's a work in progress. That'll be in progress till Jesus comes, which takes us then to the next thing that Paul would say to us, and that is expect bad days. Expect bad days when you get the elbow in the back and you know you're supposed to think better and you know you're supposed to put their knees first, but you turn around and say, hey, fella, back of the line where everybody else is. Take your turn. That felt good, say it tonight. That's what I wanted to say. <laughs> know what I'm saying? Know what I'm talking about? You're gonna have days and you blow it. You have days and you blow it in your marriage, you blow it with the kids, you have days and you blow it at work, you have days and you blow it with you know the person that cut you off in traffic. It's gonna happen. Do you quit? Do you give up? No. No. You trip? you stop? No. You fail. Are you done? No. You walk, you know, you walk the batter instead of striking, striking her out or striking him out. You just quit playing baseball? No! <laughs> you learn from your mistakes. You continue to improve. You finish the race. Because you know the race has already been won. You let God refine you in those moments. You let him come through. Last thing I think Paul would say to us is don't run by yourself. Roger Bannister shows up at the track. He did not, you know, really, he he really didn't break the four-minute mile on his own. It took two of his friends, helping him keep the pace, creating a draft that he could run behind. They faced the greater resistance of the wind on that cold, damp, windy day in, in that spring of 1954, which gave him more energy and strength than to finish the race. That's why... On the back of your worship folder, you see, you know, a little ad for our life group ministries. Big groups, small groups, one-on-one mentoring, men's, women's. We want you to run the race with somebody, not alone. And yet, you know, on this Father's Day weekend, isn't that the biggest problem we have as men? I can do this myself. I don't need help. And look at the look at the situation men are in around the globe in our own culture today. So much for individualism. What are you trying to prove anyway? I think it was in Ecclesiastes, it says two are better than one because if one falls, the other one's there to help pick him up or her up. You need somebody in your life. So if you're not involved in some type of group like this or, and want to be, let us know. Emails, put on the connection card. If you don't hear from us, like within 48 hours, you need to you then need to let me know. Because I don't want you to do this alone. Nobody should have to do it alone. Listen to Paul. I mean, he about a maverick. Listen to what he says. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. He says, for I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. He sees he's, he's, he's in jail in Rome. He's probably going to be, by tradition, we think he was executed by Nero. He knows the end is coming. Verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will reward me on that day. And not only me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. In other words, all of us, all of us are looking forward to that reward. So we cross the finish line. But watch what happens in verse 9. I'm just going to give you the first part of it. It says, do your best to come to me quickly. And then he talks about the people who have hurt him. Bring my cloak and Troas. Bring me the parchments that I left behind. But come, I need somebody in my life. I'm going to finish strong, but I I don't want to die alone. Read his prison epistles. You get the sense that Paul didn't like being by himself very long. And yet he spent a lot of time alone. He wanted company. Even though he knows he's going to finish the race strong, he wants company. We need company. We need somebody to run the race with us. Do you have that person in your life? But you know, here's the bottom line question. I've been kind of asking it. I'll be, real, I'll be real specific now. Who are you running the race for? Who are you running the race for? See, I think that's what gets us in trouble a lot of times. If I'm running the race for me, I'm going to be disappointed with life. I'm going to be disappointed with God. We talked about that last weekend. But if I understand I'm running the race for God, that God actually wants to run the race through me no matter what condition the track is in, no matter what obstacles I'm facing, no matter how I'm hampered physically or emotionally or relationally, if I know that God is running the race through me, I can run this race. Because Paul goes on in Philippians, he says, I rely on God, not on me. It's all about Christ working through me. In fact. It was all about Christ. Listen to what he says in Philippians chapter 1 verse 20. He says, "For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past, and I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die." So he's running for Christ. It's all about bringing honor to him. He says, "For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better." But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Hear what Paul's saying in all of that? He's saying, Christ is enough. It's all about Christ. It's all about Christ. Now, here's the picture I want you to get in your mind. It's not that Jesus is just waiting at the end of the race for me. Christ is also running the race with me. and He's not just running the race with me. He's actually, as I mentioned earlier, running the the race in front of me, creating a draft for me. Paul says in Philippians, in chapter four, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me when I run the race for him, with him, through him. Let's pray. Father God, I pray and ask that you would help us in this race we call life, to finish strong. Father, if there is some weight of sin or guilt or shame that is weighting us down, dragging us down, Lord, we want to jettison that weight right now through confession, or Lord, if we confessed it by faith that we are forgiven. Father, if we lack training, If we're not spiritually growing because we're not in prayer, we're not in the word, we're not taking you seriously, Lord, give us that conviction and help us to begin our own discipline of just meditating in your word, of just being alone with you, of just prayer, of of taking the truth and, and living it out. And God, I pray, help us not to do it alone. Help us to have people in our lives that can keep us accountable. That can cheer for us as well as graciously and lovingly confront us. Because, God, we want to lean into you. We want to win this race. We want to run it strong. Not just for you, but with you and by you. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would be the obsession of our lives. That in Christ, we have enough finish the race strong in your precious name, in Jesus' name, amen.